speaking out against sexual assault, visiting dying construction workers, investigating Me Too allegations. In China, all those actions can get you detained. The most prominent victim of this crackdown is tennis star Peng Shuai, who basically no longer exists in the country's internet after she openly accused a former political leader of sexually assaulting her. There's been a global outcry of concern for her safety and freedom. But lesser-known individuals who have critiqued China's policies and social mores, they've vanished one by one, and few outsiders have even noticed. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, December 3rd, 2021. Today, we examine the story of Peng and other Chinese activists and how the Chinese Communist Party is moving to silence any citizen it deems a threat to stability. On November 2nd, Peng Shuai published a letter on her verified social media account that accused a former top Chinese government official of sexual assault. She then suddenly disappeared. The ministry has told the media the matter was not a diplomatic question and it wasn't aware of the situation. Censors blocked her name from the web in China, but around the world, people, including tennis star Naomi Osaka, continued to ask where Peng was. 35-year-old Peng is a former top-ranked player in women's doubles who won titles at Wimbledon in 2013 and the French Open in 2014. She's also participated in three Olympics, making her disappearance all the more prominent. But it's not just people with name recognition that are disappearing. Human rights group Safeguard Defenders estimates that more than 45,000 people were subjected to a form of secret detention since President Xi Jinping assumed power in 2013. LA Times Beijing bureau chief Alice Su has been investigating this phenomenon and now joins us. Alice, welcome to The Times. Hey, Gustavo. It's good to be here. There's been other Chinese celebrities who have vanished from public sight for months. I'm thinking former Alibaba CEO Jack Ma, and actress Zhao Wei. But Peng's disappearance garnered worldwide attention and condemnation. Why? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to distinguish that, you know, Peng is really different from people like Jack Ma and Zhao Wei. Before she disappeared, she wrote this explosive allegation on Weibo, Chinese social media. And there have been Me Too accusations in China before, but Peng's Weibo post was the first time that a Me Too case has taken on anyone who is so high up in the Communist Party leadership. Zhang Gaoli, the person that she accused of sexual abuse, was a vice premier of the Communist Party. So that just means he holds incredible power in China. And China, of course, has a long record of human rights abuses going with the Uyghurs in you know, Western China and other opponents. But in this case, it seems feminism, especially coming with this Me Too movement, it has really put the Chinese Communist Party on the offensive and defense at the same time. That's true. And it's also interesting because she's known to be a fairly patriotic athlete, you know, on, on national holidays and so on. She always posts like the, the flag. She talks about how proud she is to be Chinese. And her post, if you read what she actually wrote, it wasn't saying anything like we need to stand up for human rights or down with the Communist Party. And it was very personal. I mean, what stuck out to me was, I think in one of the first few lines, she said, you know, I know I've done something wrong and I know that even if I say this, nothing will change, but I still want to speak. You know, she was blaming herself for a lot of it. So what happened once the letter came out? Well, it's interesting because the letter came out. A few outlets wrote about it and said, you know, this is a big deal. But then it disappeared. And 
there was this mass censorship of Peng, of Zhang Gaoli, of anything related to them on the Chinese internet to the point where for a while, even the word tennis, you could search tennis and you would find no results. So it was just clear the authorities were so clear to wipe it out. And for a few weeks, it kind of just faded out of view. That is until maybe two weeks later, the Women's Tennis Association spoke up. The Women's Tennis Association has demanded a full investigation and is prepared to pull tournaments out of the country if it does not get an appropriate response. Top players including Naomi Osaka and Novak Djokovic have spoken out and the hashtag whereispengshui is trending online. First, it was a big deal that the WTA had said something and they wanted to support Peng. And then secondly, a few days after that happened, CGTN, which is a Chinese state media account, released a screenshot on Twitter of an email they said was from Peng to Steve Simon, the head of the WTA. And basically, they just tweeted this little block of text that said, Hello, everyone. This is Peng Shui. I am fine. I've just been resting at home. I think it was really this tweet that then really escalated things. So over the weekend of November 20th, Chinese state media released photos of Peng at home, at dinner with friends and at a tennis tournament. The photos were released by tournament organizers as the Chinese government tries to reassure fears abroad of her well-being. The former Wimbledon champion was shown standing beside a court waving and signing oversized commemorative tennis balls for children. And then two days later, IOC officials confirmed that the Chinese tennis player took part in a 30-minute video call with them from Beijing. Yet the international community is not buying these claims that Peng is safe. How are people in China reacting? Chinese folks mostly had no idea. And once that letter came out from the CGTN, even more people started speaking up, especially really prominent athletes, you know, like Serena Williams. And then the U.S. issued a statement saying they were concerned just... This week, the EU said we need verifiable proof that, you know, Peng Shui is fine. This really matters to China, especially because the Beijing Olympics are approaching. So China's hosting the Winter Olympics in February. And there has been this kind of global campaign by human rights activists and people from Xinjiang and Tibet and Hong Kong and Taiwan and so on have been saying, you know, we should boycott the Beijing Olympics. It's not right to host the Olympics in a place where what the U.S. has called a genocide is happening to the Uyghur Muslims and, and to other minorities. But, you know, that hasn't caught much momentum, I think, kind of in, in, in the mainstream. But now suddenly, because of this one woman and because of her Me Too allegations, all these people were speaking up. Yeah, just this week, the president of the Women's Tennis Association announced that it was going to suspend tournaments in China for the foreseeable future. That's a big move. There's been a lot of pressure in recent years on celebrities like LeBron James and corporations like Disney who have business dealings with China to denounce the country's suppression of minorities like Uyghurs and Tibetans. But few have said anything. But now with the WTA's move, China's campaign against dissidents is suddenly encapsulated in one person. And now people get it. We'll be back after this break. Alice, it's not just famous people like Peng who have disappeared in China. What are some other cases that have gotten some attention? It's not just famous people. A lot of other people have disappeared, but those people actually have not gotten as much attention. So in particular, if we're talking about feminism and the Me Too movement, there is one journalist and feminist activist. Her name is Sophia Huang or Huang Shiqin in Chinese. And she is an independent journalist who reported on some of the first Me Too cases in China. So Huang Shiqin is 
you know, just one of the most well-known people who was working on that. She is an award-winning journalist. And first of all, she had already been detained once before. In 2019, she was supposed to go study law in Hong Kong. But because she was in Hong Kong briefly and saw what was going on with the pro-democracy protests, she wrote about them online. And then she was prevented from going back to Hong Kong for her master's. And she was kept in this type of secret detention that's called residential surveillance at designated location, which basically means you can disappear for up to six months and there's no public information about where you are or what crime you've committed. So she was taken into that for three months. In early 2020, you know, she was released, but she was still surveilled for a full year. There was a special surveillance camera installed in her apartment building. But even during that time, she continued to work. This year, she and her friends thought she would be fine because she finally got her passport back after the one year of surveillance. And she won a Chevening scholarship, which is this really prestigious scholarship to go study in the UK. But on her way to the airport in September, she disappeared. She had a close friend who was a labor activist who was sending her off to the airport and they both vanished. Nobody could get in touch with them. Only in early November did their families receive official notice that they had been formally detained on charges of inciting subversion of state power. That's Sophia Huang, that's Huang Xuexin, but she is just one of many, many activists who have been vanishing off the map. And I think what's important to know is that this is part of this overall suppression of civil society that's been happening since Xi Jinping came into power. And back in 2015, there was this mass roundup of human rights activists and lawyers. A few hundred were arrested at once. And there was this huge global outcry. And that same year, there were five feminists who were detained. And again, there was this global outcry, similar to what we're seeing with Peng Shui. These days, kind of in the last few years, Arrests have continued to happen, but more and more, it kind of feels like the world is numb to it. You know, like it seems like these activists, they just vanish. There's almost no reaction at all on the international stage. And, and that, I think, is also why it's so striking that when Peng disappeared, it seemed like, oh, finally, people noticed. What they didn't realize is that that happens all the time in China. People disappear just for things that they say. So how does feminist activism look right now in China, especially compared to here in the United States? I mean, it's really hard to make a comparison, in part because there's just almost no space for public organizing of any sort. So, I mean, something like the Women's March, like that could never happen in, in China the way that it is right now. That being said, I think feminism has really grown and taken hold in the public consciousness in the last 10 years. Like I mentioned earlier, there were five feminists who were detained in 2015. And back then, they were still able to kind of do public acts. Like they would do things like they would show up on a busy street wearing wedding dresses covered with fake blood and you know, everybody would surround them and look at them and they would say, this is a protest against domestic violence. But when they were detained, it was because they were handing out stickers against sexual harassment on a subway. That gives you an idea of how small the space had become for public action already by then. That being said, what a lot of Chinese feminists will say is that even if they cannot really gather or organize publicly online or offline, you still see individuals speaking up one by one, kind of like Peng Shui. I think it's good to note too, like Peng Shui didn't say Me Too in her post. She didn't affiliate herself with the Me Too movement, but her action, you know, and just individual women coming out and saying, I want to say something about what happened to me, that in itself carries a kind of momentum. And that momentum, it, it is continuing. 
Alice, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks, Gustavo. Next up, we'll talk to a Chinese-American scholar about how the disappearance of Peng Shui and others will affect the battle for equal rights in China. Dr. Leita Hong Fincher is a journalist and author who focuses on feminism in China. Welcome to The Times. Thank you so much for having me. Doctor, you've written about this term in Chinese culture, shung nuer. It roughly translates as leftover women and refers to women in their late 20s who haven't been married. How does that idea play out in people's lives in China? Well, this is a new term that started to be heavily pushed by the Chinese government through propaganda in 2007. So the government didn't invent the term. It was kind of floating around, but it became very aggressively pushed as meaning a woman in her mid-20s or older who is educated and single. Chinese culture has a long patriarchal tradition. And so, of course, there has been sexism for a long time. In the early era, after the founding of the People's Republic, actually, the communist government really used gender equality as a rallying cry. And the propaganda images in the 1950s and 60s and early 70s was very different. It showed women in these traditionally male occupations like driving bulldozers or being welders, very muscular, robust women. And the goal back then was to promote women's participation in the workforce so that women and men together could boost industrial production in China. But under uh, the Communist Party leadership today, particularly under President Xi Jinping, there has been a huge resurgence of traditional gender norms. And so you see a lot more sexism and misogyny just in the public rhetoric and in propaganda today. So for the first few years after 2007, I actually interviewed hundreds and hundreds of women in their 20s and early 30s. And a lot of the women I interviewed were extremely insecure about not being able to find anyone to marry. They were being pressured a lot and and even bullied by their own parents or other elders in their family. And that is the most painful part of the pressure, actually. I mean, it's one thing when the government is bombarding you with these reports and images. It's another thing when your own parents are constantly nagging you to get married. Now, the difference is that in recent years, there's been this birth of a new feminist movement, which is really pushing back against the sexism and misogyny. And so even though the Chinese government continues to aggressively push these traditional gender norms, more and more women in their 20s and early 30s are saying, you know what, we don't want to rush into marriage. A lot of women are actually taking a very radical stance and saying, I am never going to get married and I never want to have a baby. And so you actually see in the official birth and marriage statistics that birth rates and marriage rates have been falling precipitously. So the Chinese government is really concerned about this perceived demographic crisis because 
the population overall is aging and the workforce is shrinking, which of course is leading to an economic slowdown. Ever since 2007, there has been a continuous effort. Policies are changing. Propaganda continues to evolve. But it's a very strong effort on the part of the government to push particularly educated Han Chinese women back into the home to play the dutiful role of wife and mother. Chinese Communist Party officials have described feminism as a, quote, Western ideology and a foreign threat. What are they so scared about? First of all, of course, under Xi Jinping, any kind of potential opposition is seen as a threat to the Communist Party. And so there has been an attack on civil society all around. It's not just an attack on the feminist movement. However, the feminist movement poses a truly unique challenge to the Communist Party because these other kinds of social movements have actually been pretty successfully squelched. I mean, they they may continue. There are other social movements that continue, but none of them have this breadth and depth of the feminist movement. Now, part of that is because the political activists at the core of the feminist movement are extremely savvy organizers. And there are a lot of them, too. So the authorities can go after some of the feminist activists. It can jail some of them, persecute some of them. It has been deleting the accounts of a lot of influential feminist activists, but it can't get everybody. And so there continues to be feminist discourse, even on China's censored Weibo and WeChat. Another thing is that, you know, it's not just one issue with the feminists. The Me Too movement is one aspect of it, But that's only one part of it. There's also general complaints about widespread gender discrimination in the workplace, an epidemic of domestic violence. There are so many different issues that have very broad resonance with the entire population of China. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of people. And so even if they don't use the label of feminist to identify themselves, They fall under this feminist category. This is why feminism itself is seen as a threat by the Communist Party. The party state accuses feminist activists in China of being used by so-called hostile Western forces who are supposedly seeking to undermine China. That's used to smear a lot of the feminist activists, accusing them of being spies sometimes, or maybe accusing them of being separatists. Finally, how do you see these conversations about feminism, a woman's uh, place in Chinese society in a climate where there is so much censorship and suspicion from the state, but also even from ordinary citizens? Well, this is what is so amazing about the feminist movement in China is that it has continued to be very resilient. It has continued to grow in spite of extremely aggressive internet censorship of these kinds of topics and also a a kind of 
ban on Chinese state media coverage of these issues as well. So, for example, there have been a lot of women speaking out in the Me Too movement, but the vast majority of those cases are never reported in Chinese state media. There are a couple of exceptions in recent months, most notably this uh, Chinese-Canadian pop star Chris Wu, who was arrested on suspicion of rape, and there was state media coverage of that, probably because he's a Canadian citizen. But it's a very continually shrinking space on social media for discussion of feminist topics. But the Chinese feminist community has been very imaginative. They, they're very responsive. They keep coming up with new ways to continue the conversation in spite of increasing censorship. But it's very hard to predict what's going to happen in the future. Dr. Leda Hong-Fincher, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you so much for interviewing me. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. And a quick thanks to all of you who have been posting on social media that The Times is one of your top five podcasts of the year on Spotify. On behalf of all the people who make this podcast happen, we appreciate your support. No, seriously, thank you all. And who are those people? Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Lauren Rapp. Our executive producers are Jasmine Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and anyone else I forgot. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back next week with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.